Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online gathering for Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. My name is David Johnson. I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here at Samanach Baptist Church. SBC family and those who live locally, we continue to have in-person gatherings at 10 a.m. each Sunday. Something's just not the same by going to church online, so we would invite you to consider joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. SBC family, a couple of announcements. Midday Bible study will now begin to meet on Mondays. So that means tomorrow, January 24th at 1 p.m., we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians. So we used to meet on Wednesdays because of just some scheduling changes. We're going to start meeting on Mondays. Also, this coming Wednesday, January 26th, we begin a new midweek Bible study with Sandwich Church the Nazarene. Our series, God Talk, Learning to Speak Christian in Community, will meet on Wednesdays at Sandwich Church the Nazarene at 6 p.m. That's on West College Street in Sandwich. If you're local and you don't have anything going on Wednesdays at 6 p.m., please join us. This online gathering is called to worship first by a reading from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Let us pray. 
triune God, we thank you for the instructions that you give us and how they are adequate to revive our souls. King Jesus, would you be with us and speak to us a word that revives our soul? Would our hearts rejoice at your precepts? Would you detect and expose and heal those errors in our hearts? King Jesus, often our faults are hidden from us. Often those hidden faults have dominion over us. We need you to make the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts acceptable. Be, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our reading from the epistles comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul says this to the church in Philippi, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. This is God's word. Let us now respond to that reading by going to King Jesus in prayer. First, a reading from Psalm 77, verses 14 and 15. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is great as our God? You are the God who works wonders. You showed your power among us. 
You showed your power among the peoples. Your strong arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us now pause and silently confess our sins to our faithful Savior, who stands ready to say to us, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. When we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. O God, you grant justice to your chosen ones who cry to you day and night, so we pray always and do not lose heart. God of blessing, the light of your love cannot be overcome by darkness. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. You know what troubles us. You care about what we need. So we pray for ourselves and those dear to us. King Jesus, show compassion to my brothers and sisters who are grieving, to my brothers and sisters who are sick, to my brothers and sisters who feel overwhelmed with the pressure of life in these days. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. You desire to draw all people to yourself. We pray for our community and for our neighbors. King Jesus, show compassion to school administrators, to school nurses, to teachers these days. Show compassion to families who are dealing with illness. Show compassion to doctors and hospital staff. You know what troubles us and care about what we need. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. You hear the voice of those who weep. We pray for the world. We pray for those who are in need. We offer you other burdens our hearts carry. You know what troubles us and care about what we need. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God of light, your presence illumines even our darkest shadows. Gather today's sorrow and pleasure and remake them in us into generous hope, sober joy, tested faith, that our lives may be radiant with your love. In the example of Jesus, we pray now for the advent of your reign. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 1 is the text that we're going to pay attention to together today. And between now and the beginning of Lent, which happens towards the end of February, we're going to be spending a couple of weeks in each of the chapters in Philippians. And Philippians chapter 1 is what we are going to conclude with today. Things grow sometimes where and how we aren't expecting them to grow. Late one spring, we noticed a pumpkin vine growing on the south side of our house next to our garbage cans. How do you know, how do you, how do you imagine this unintended, unplanned pumpkin vine surprisingly appeared on the south side of our house next to our garbage cans? As you can likely imagine, we intended to throw away a rotten pumpkin in late fall. Alas, however, the pumpkin landed on the ground instead of in the garbage can. The pumpkin decayed and decayed. The pumpkin froze and froze under layers of snow. The pumpkin survived two rounds of the polar vortex. The seeds of that pumpkin sunk beneath the surface of the soil. And in the spring, a stubborn pumpkin vine emerged. Have you had a similar experience with volunteer pumpkins or perhaps volunteer tomatoes? Things grow sometimes where and how we aren't expecting them to grow. In our reading from Philippians this morning, Paul has good news for his audience. Good news that God is faithfully and mysteriously at work among them in unexpected ways. And those unexpected ways, Paul promises, lead to what he describes in verse 11 of chapter one, the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Here, Paul is promising the reversal of exile. He's promising a grand and glorious and final homecoming. In Amos chapter 6, under the discipline of God, Judah had experienced the undoing of what God wanted them to become. Indeed, the fruit of righteousness, Amos says, had been transformed into bitterness. The good news for the Philippians, who would be aware of that promise in Amos, is that God is renewing them. God is restoring them. He's building them into the new and better and ultimate people of God. Paul finds himself in prison. The Philippians find themselves feeling pressure from opposition from the empire of Rome. Yet Paul is still assured that God is present mysteriously and unexpectedly working in them a work that he promises to complete Paul says in our reading that he is assured of this. How is Paul assured of this? Because the Philippians are sharing in the gospel. Because the church in Philippi is sharing in God's grace. 
And most specifically, they are doing this sharing in very, and here's the key word, claustrophobic circumstances. Claustrophobia is having an extreme fear of confined spaces. The author of Philippians is in a confined space. And what the author of Philippians knows is that his audience is also experiencing the confining claustrophobic pressure of an empire that is against their leader, that is against their faith, that is against their life together. So let's first consider the claustrophobic circumstances in Philippi. First, Paul names, he names the claustrophobic circumstances in which he and his readers find themselves. Four times in what amounts to the first section of his letter, Paul says what is likely the most troubling reality for his Philippian siblings. Paul is in prison. He uses that phrase, my imprisonment, literally my chains, four times in not many verses. Verse 7, my imprisonment or my chains. Verse 13, my imprisonment or my chains. Verse 14, my imprisonment or my chains. Verse 17, my imprisonment or my chains. This lack of freedom that Paul is experiencing is likely going to result in the Philippians losing their freedom as well. The Philippians and Paul are losing and will lose religious freedom. Yet, unlike us, in our American context, Paul seems quite unconcerned with the effect that a lack of religious freedom will have. In fact, Paul professes that in spite of, or maybe because of his lack of religious freedom, the gospel is still bearing fruit. He seems to believe and does believe that opposition to the gospel leads to the fruit of the gospel. Pastor Don Hargrove gave me this necessary reminder this week. He says this, those who believe that the church needs the government to protect her understand neither the nature of the church nor the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we consider the claustrophobic circumstances in Philippi, first, Paul names those claustrophobic circumstances. Secondly, Paul describes the hopeful evidence that God is invisibly at work in these situations. Verse six of chapter one, Paul is confident that he who began a good work in the Philippians will be faithful to complete it regardless of opposition from the Roman empire. This evidence, this hopeful evidence that Paul describes is found in the word sharing. Sharing translates the New Testament term koinonia. This word is often translated fellowship. That word for our tradition calls to mind donuts, strong coffee, and warm tuna casserole. Now, I have no desire to disparage donuts or good strong coffee. I do have a bit of a desire to disparage warm tuna casserole, but those things are not what Paul has in mind. 
The most well-known Greek New Testament dictionary defines the word koinonia as close association involving mutual interests and sharing. Within the context of Philippians, by koinonia, Paul means common loving sacrifice for a shared goal. Similar to Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring, Paul joyfully pictures the Philippians as being this motley crew of people who have different backgrounds, different statuses, different experiences, but from within that difference, Paul imagines them fellowshipping in the gospel fellowshipping in God's grace. They fellowship in the gospel in verses four and five of chapter one. They fellowship in God's grace in verse seven. Imagine again Tolkien in the fellowship of the ring, hobbits, elves, humans, dwarves, and wizards putting aside all their preferences and for the destruction of the ring, for the saving of Middle Earth, They put aside their differences and they cooperate together for a shared goal. Likewise, within the circumstances in Philippi, Paul prayerfully rejoices that the gospel and the grace of God were enough. Enough to relieve the claustrophobia and keep them from turning on each other, from turning against each other, or from even turning away from each other. Beloved, my prayer is that the past 22 months would no longer create a relational claustrophobia, that the good news of the grace of God would create sufficient relational space to keep us from turning against or away from each other. I've been around someone when they were experiencing a claustrophobic attack. In a stalled elevator, a close friend began shouting and attacking the doors and wouldn't stop until the elevator started moving again. Brothers and sisters, I sense that at SBC sometimes. The pressure gets to be too much. Sadness and fear overwhelm us. And because we don't know how to say, I am sad, or I am scared, or we don't know that it's okay to say, I am sad, or I am scared, we instead respond with hostility, separation, or imagined conflict. May God's Spirit help us name our imprisonment. May God's Spirit help us identify our chains so that we don't take our fear and our pain and suppress it and then project it upon those who aren't responsible for it and who don't deserve it. So what would a gospel response look like in Samanach to this text that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago in the Macedonian region we know as Philippi? First, we must remember that overflowing love is the reason we're here. Let me say that again. We must remember that overflowing love is the reason we're here. Church, knowledge is a good and right thing. 
Insight into difficult truths is a good and right thing. The ability to determine what is the wise course of action is a good and right thing. But growing in knowledge, discernment, and wisdom, these are not why the church exists. We do not come to church to grow in knowledge. What can knowledge do according to 1 Corinthians 8? In 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge without love, I love the King James, puffeth up. Put that in the comments. Knowledge without love puffeth up. Look at Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11. Paul's very clear on the content of his prayer. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. Beloved, what is Paul's essential prayer? What do knowledge and insight flow out of? In his prayer, what is secondary and what is primary? Primary in Paul's prayer is that the Philippians would have for each other overflowing love. And then from that overflowing love, knowledge and insight would be the fruit of that overflowing love. Do you see what's primary and what's secondary? Overflowing love for each other is what we're here for. We're not here for knowledge and insight. We're here for the purpose of overflowing love. And whatever knowledge and insight that we gain from gathering together is only good for its intended purpose. And that intended purpose is overflowing love. Overflowing love for each other is what Jesus said his disciples would be known for. See John 13, verse 35. The original audience of Jesus' command to love was filled with a motley crew of different kinds of disciples. We had zealots, we had tax collectors, we had Essenes, we had all different kinds of sociological, theological, political difference. The thing that held them together was they loved Jesus and they wanted to follow him. This motley crew of different kinds of disciples in John 14, which comes after John 13, Jesus said the Spirit would hold them together powerfully in love. The first gospel response in Samanach to Philippians 1 is that we must remember that overflowing love is the reason we're here. Second, we must learn that overflowing love does not require unqualified agreement in all things. Consider two female leaders in the church at Philippi, chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche. A lot of difficult words to pronounce. Koinonia, Euodia, Syntyche. I urge you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, that could be Epaphroditus or Timothy, help these women for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. These two ladies are Paul's co-workers for the sake of the gospel. And Paul says, be of the same mind. And the really important prepositional phrase there is in the Lord. 
Paul wants the church, Paul wants Timothy and or Epaphroditus to help these women. Why? For the sake of the work of the gospel. Now, beloved, what's interesting is Paul never offers instruction about how to work out their disagreement. Paul never says, Yodia, you're right, Syntyche, you're wrong. He doesn't even address it. Rather, he says, their identity in the Lord, the task of the work of the gospel is so much more formative and so much more important than whatever disagreement is coming between them. When Jesus staked our reputation on our love for each other, he assumed that sometimes our life together would present us with challenges. That means our life together won't always be easy. That means our life together will require listening. That means our life together will require forgiveness. That means our life together will sometimes cause inconvenience. But our life of overflowing love is the space God chooses to encounter us, to be with us, to love us, and to transform us. Beloved, we must remember that overflowing love is the reason we're here. And we must learn and remember that overflowing love does not require unqualified agreement in all things. I'd like to conclude now with two invitations. First, let us define love as something that's worth working for. John, the beloved disciple, told the churches in Asia Minor, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Christian love is not some easy, cheesy, cotton candy emotion. Overflowing love is the hard work of emptying our comforts, our preferences, our ways we wish other people would be, our definitions of what we find meaningful, and trusting the promise that I encounter God in that annoying church member that others encounter God in that song or that sermon or that author that I don't connect with. And I choose to thank God for that person. And I choose to bless God that God chooses to encounter them in that way. Beloved, love requires work. And love is worth working for. And that work will necessarily involve bearing with one another, as Paul tells the Colossians. That work will necessarily involve forgiving each other as God in Christ forgives us, as Paul tells the Ephesians. Beloved, these words confront us because baked into the way we experience the world is consumerism. We thoughtlessly evaluate according to the idols of preference, meaning, and what makes us comfortable. This neglects that love requires work, and love is worth working for. The most meaningful relationships in my life haven't always been easy. But those relationships have been so worth working for. As 2020 concluded and 2021 began, difficulty wormed its way into a very important relationship in my life. This dear brother in the Lord is one of those phone contacts 
that doesn't need a last name because he's that important to me. During the end of 2020, he was getting way too invested in the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. He was sending me conspiracy theory upon conspiracy theory, YouTube video upon YouTube video, so much so that whenever I saw a text message, I kind of went, because I knew it was going to be another one of these items. Scheduled Zoom calls that were supposed to be about our life with God and the scriptures and theology always seemed to devolve into less important matters. My disinterest in these matters seemed to anger him to the point of rage, and that rage seemed to create disagreement in other unrelated matters. Thankfully, our relationship survived that period, but there still remained a bit of tension until we had a Zoom conversation last week when he said these words to me. Back then, I was assigning labels that belong to others who have hurt me onto you. Let me say that again. Back then, I was assigning labels that belong to others who have hurt me, and I was assigning them to you. You didn't deserve that. I regret that, he said. Will you forgive me, he asked. In that moment, I wanted to jump through the Zoom screen and hug and honor and love my Christian brother. In that moment, I was reminded that patiently and forgivingly waiting for loving reconciliation is the way of the cross, the way of resurrection. In the satirical musical Schmigadoon, that's fun to say, we're full of difficult to pronounce words this day, koinonia, euodia, syntiki, schmigadoon. Josh and Melissa in this satirical musical are a loving couple. But they're realizing in the course of the, uh, in the, course of the musical that relationships are hard. They had believed the lie that love means never having to say you're sorry, that love is an easy, cheesy, cotton candy emotion. Josh and Melissa are separated, and Josh receives this advice from the local priest. True love, he says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The priest continues, in other words, true love is a lot of work. So it's probably not something you find. It's probably something you make. Beloved, at SBC, let us stake our reputation on overflowing love and define overflowing love as something that's worth working for. Secondly, I would like to invite us to believe good things sometimes grow where and how we aren't expecting them to grow. Church, the past 22 months have included loss and death. But here's the good news. The Christian faith has the audacity to claim not only that God restores dying things, but that God brings dead things back to life. I want to invite us to trust this same resurrection power to restore, revive, and bring to SBC a season of fruitfulness. 
In the north entrance of Samanac Baptist Church, we have this plaque. It says this, in loving memory of our sisters in Christ, Lottie and Mary Simpson, to whom we are indebted for our church today because of their prayers and faithful service. Take a moment to look at that plaque, especially if you consider Samanac Baptist Church your church family. Back before our current building even existed, Lottie and Mary used to fire up the wood-burning stove and open the entrance to the old white church building on Sycamore Street here in Samanac. Some Sundays, they were the only two in attendance. On those days, they would sit on the church steps and pray that God would send people their way with whom they could share the overflowing love of Jesus. Over 70 years ago, God grew something where and how they weren't expecting. May the Holy Spirit of God grant us faith to believe that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Triune God, by the power of the Spirit and for the sake of your Son, we ask that you would create a season of fruitfulness for our church family. We thank you for how you have preserved us and shown yourself faithful for over 170 years. We ask that you would faithfully continue to preserve us and we ask that you would use us to create a season of fruitfulness for the good of our city, for the glory of God, and for the sake of his name among the nations. We pray through the Son and by the Spirit, and all of us said together, amen. Thank you for joining me for this online gathering. I now invite you to receive our final benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of us said together, amen.